Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Rikindi. Um, today, we're thrilled to introduce a powerhouse in environmental activism, Ricky Hertzberg. As executive director of Plastic Oceans Australasia, Ricky has devoted her career to driving systemic change in the battle against plastic pollution. Her passion for change has expanded into diverse roles in corporate, community, government, and non for profit sectors, including significant roles in WWF. Greening Australia and Hilton International Hotels Group. So with all of that, thank you so much, Ricky, for joining us and welcome. Thank you so much, Alexa. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so, so much for having me on this on, on this particular podcast. So Ricky, I would like to start with just um, understanding a little bit more about what got you interested in founding um, Plastic Oceans Australasia and um, yeah, your journey. Well, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll make it short and exciting and cut out all the all the admin part, which none of us really want to know about. <laughs> but basically I was um, working in Hong Kong many, many years ago and I was working at that time in the hospitality tourism industry as Director of Public Relations and Marketing, uh, as you mentioned, Hilton Hotels. And I was um, looking at who I could connect with because my passion in environment and sustainability has been literally my whole life. And I reached out to um, the only NGO that I could find in Hong Kong at the time that had global um, had a global presence and I felt could match what I was wanting to do from a community education engagement point of view. Uh, and that was to deliver a school's education program to a select number of um, international and Chinese uh, schools in Hong Kong. And I reached out to a lady called Joanne Ruxton. And Joanne Ruxton was, um, the, my first association with her was way back then. And she was working in the education area with WWF and had been um, in the past in the UK and uh, had been doing a lot of filming and marine uh, advocacy work as well. So Joe and I hooked up and uh, became great comrades, colleagues, and then friends. Joe moved back to the UK. I moved back to Australia uh, and then moved to Canada for a while. But when Joe uh, decided that she wanted to do a, a film about the amount of plastic that's in the oceans way back in 2008, nine, I think it was, um, she spent about eight years going around the world um, filming to 23 locations globally uh, about what was going on with plastics in the ocean. And the movie A Plastic Ocean, which she created, was the, um, the beginning of the uh, movement Plastic Oceans Foundation. So she set up the foundation while she was doing the filming and the production of this film. I was um, invited and then appointed to be the um, executive director and take up Plastic Oceans Australasia and set up the, 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 the arm of the mothership. So the mothership was PO Plastic Oceans UK, uh, Plastic Oceans Hong Kong, and then Plastic Oceans Australasia. So I was basically appointed to do that. I, I was really... Um, not expecting to be here six years later. I thought I was just getting it founded and getting it set up and then handing it, handing it over. But um, Joe and the team and all the other incredible, passionate other people that we work with in our Global Alliance 
uh, we just all carried on the journey because unfortunately there is so much for us to do. It would be great if we weren't needed, but sadly we are needed in this space now more than ever. So that was how I um, I ended up here where I am today. Amazing. And um, yeah, it's really incredible what you guys are actually doing in order to see one of our largest issues, I think, globally that we're facing um, as a species or even planet Earth is the amount of plastic that is polluting our oceans. I mean, it's just it's just so disgusting. Um, so can you shed some light on the current state of plastic pollution in our oceans, particularly in the Australasian region? Oh, well, it's yes, it's very, it's a little bit depressing. But I mean, to, like, the reality is that um, each person on earth um equates to i think it's 20 the latest stats i have on that is 21,000 pieces of plastic in the ocean is um amortized based on the number of people in the world so that's 21,000 pieces in, you know globally in in the in the um ocean so when we look at the statistics on that and um you know we look at i i think again it's also been worked out it's 170 trillion pieces of plastic um and that's a very very recent study um and i think the new i call it gray i call it the gray zone but i think some are now starting to call it the the plastic smog because there's so much plastic, um, it's just incredible. And it, it, it equates to also 2.4 uh, metric tonnes, and that's doubling six times. That's doubling every six years. So, um, and that's a study, that's an international research study that's being done um, by the Five Guys Institute based in California. So um, if we've got 8 billion people on the planet, and we've got that 21,000, you know, you can work out the numbers. It's quite overwhelming and pretty, it is, it is definitely um, quite depressing um, what's what's going on with all of that. Um, so in Australia, it's 130,000 tonnes. That's sort of been the, the, um, the figure that we've had for quite a while. We know that that figure is increasing, um, sadly, um, and that is something that we... We, um, as a nation, we are one of the highest polluters with waste in the world. So we we have a lot to answer for. So even though we're only, you know, 27 and a half million people, we actually have a very high um, footprint, environmental footprint with energy, the carbon emissions, our water consumption, our waste um, um, uh disposal is is it's it's quite it's quite shocking so it's a lot to do with our lifestyle and what's going on I think with how we live what we do and our culture I think there's a lot in that and that's why a lot of the work that we do is around that behavior change piece so at the moment it's that 130 um, thousand you know tons per year which is pretty um, astounding and people can't vision a lot of people can't actually visualize that can you visualize that? I no, know. I really can't. No, no. <laughs> so, so if, if you had to put that in perspective, what would what would that amount of plastic look like? I mean, a couple of skyscrapers. I'm imagining. Uh, I think somebody equated it to fourteen, fourteen. Um, what was it? The Statue of Liberty. Fourteen of the Statue of Liberty um, um, forms. Uh, if you know every day that would be that would that would be what that would look like 
Um, but in Australia, I have to think about how I could equate that to um, like, you know, the Sydney Opera House or, you know, the one of the bridges or things like that. But it's, it is, it is pretty uh, scary. It is pretty mm-hmm. scary. And even when you look at the landfill and when you see the show War on Waste and they're showing all the all the massive piles of all of the waste all there just and that's just you know several days um of collection it's quite it's quite horrendous so I think um I think we we really just have to accept the fact that what is going on out there and what we are doing is not sustainable it's just not sustainable yeah, so how does Plastic Oceans Australasia work to reduce this plastic pollution? And what are the key initiatives that you've taken? So our our mantra is stopping it at the source. So we're not really big advocates about recycling. We see recycling as the end of the line. So if you look at the whole supply chain or if you want to look at it like a circular economy, we always say the best way to nip something in the bud is to not have it there in the first place. So we talk a lot about um, two people. So we have four streams in our business, of our our business um, uh, objectives of what we do. Uh, We have science and research. So we have a technical advisory panel and we do um, research in areas that we find others aren't doing. So some of the very big, well-funded government um, entities and other much bigger NGOs and other um, universities and institutions that are, are doing some fabulous work, absolutely. We are kind of in a, a niche market where we're, we're looking at and um, diving down into individual projects that we feel that we can really make a difference with. And I'll go back to that maybe later when we've got, to, if we've got time, some of the projects. Um, the second then, so the science and research basically underpins everything that we do because we want to make sure that our facts and figures are correct because people don't want storytelling, they want the facts. We then have our business sustainability unit and that part is creating and supplying and um, giving people resources and a toolkit of information so that they can use that if they wish for their businesses and their workplace or just general general information about how to be sustainable business-wise. Then we have our education unit, which is actually doing the deliverables of our program. So our big part of our work has been the past several years is actually delivering in-person to people, whether it be schools, community groups, government entities, corporates, and the like, and actually doing that face-to-face relationship building and really getting people to understand practically um, what they can do to make a difference and and to to drive systemic change by stopping it at the source. And that is much easier. That sounds much easier than it is. It's actually a massive, massive problem uh, long-term to get people to change their habits um, completely. Like if I was to challenge you and say, Alexa, uh, as of tomorrow, you must stop using any single-use plastic in your life, daily life, you know, your daily life cycle, you would find it very difficult and you'd probably find it very challenging and you'd probably find it uncomfortable. You'd be outside your comfort zone. You'd probably get a bit frustrated and oh, this is all too hard and, oh, I'm in a hurry, I've got to get to, you know, point A to point B, I just don't have time for this, which is what happens to a lot of people. Um, and so what we find is that with our education programs is not enough. Our fourth stream of our business um, objective is, govern- is government policy. So we have governance, uh, policy advocacy and government um, 
negotiations is what we find is is the best way for us to do the trying to stop it at the source. So we we look at the top down, bottom up, plastics in the middle. I call it my sandwich effect. So our philosophy is that we are we are the sandwich. Uh, Plastic Oceans is working on all those different levels because you can't just do one thing. You've got to do everything to try and make that major long-term change. Mm, I completely agree. And um, on that topic as well, I understand that microplastic is quite a big concern at the moment um, where for those listening, it's essentially plastic that's been broken down into really, really tiny bits that we can't really see with our naked eye. And, uh, quite, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but apparently they've even found it in uh, human um, fetuses, which means that we individually are digesting microplastics. Um, so it's it's becoming a huge issue. And that's not even the... Um, animals uh, in the ocean and on land that are being trapped in plastic. So um, being able to stop it at the source is phenomenal. If, you know, that is as many people that can do it from the top down or bottom up, um, hopefully would make some sort of difference. Well, they actually um, have said that the latest figures on um, microplastics is 51 trillion microplastics litter our oceans and 25 trillion is macro. 51 is micro and it is a massive issue because the biggest problem with microplastics is you can't see it. So we are actually breathing it, it is in the air. We have, uh, there's also been um, um, data showing that uh, microplastics are now being found in the brain. It's been found in in blood, it's found in placenta uh, and it's pretty much everywhere. So because we can't, see it people think that that's okay and one of the projects that we're currently working on is microplastics in fish and there's two commercially um eaten fish that um we uh, taken from sydney harbour where a couple of our team from the technical advisory panel are doing work on dissecting and looking at the microplastics that have been found in commercially consumed fish now, fish has been talked about for a while, and that's not, you know, we've heard that people say that microplastics has been found in the fatty tissues of various species. Um, but what it actually shows is that we don't seem to be getting it. And human health, as well as um, animal health, is being compromised by plastic. It's insidious. It's everywhere. You cannot see it. You're breathing it. You cannot feel it. It's there. And what are we doing about it? I mean, it's causing... It's there's major illnesses that are going to come from this in the future, which it, the, the worst is still to come. We're just opening the door to say to people, this is really the tip of the iceberg or something that's going to escalate out of control and it will, it will cause more implosion. And um, you can't talk to young people about that, though. You've got to give them hope and we've got to have ways and strategies to work our way through to make it less of a problem. So we never give up hope in that we can make change. So that's one of our solutions to the challenges. We need the power of the people to move quickly, rapidly to do things. And doing um, various campaigns is great. It helps raise awareness. But long-term making, turning the tap off with new plastic production is the hardest part and that that's where government's involved and that's where we have to work with the manufacturers and we actually have to go all the way back up to the beginning and even to the farmers you know paddock to plate we need to look at how we can help the farmers to do it differently and clearly in science and in medicine we know that plastics are here to stay 
and we don't we're not you know we're not plastic deniers or plastic haters we know that there is some fantastic inventions that plastic is being used for and it what that won't go away you know like contact lenses like when you know with our operations and what they use for the thread for stitches that does you know all sorts of things so there's there's many many amazing brilliant uses for single-use plastic that that there's nothing to replace it and that we understand but those are what we call essential items right it's the high volume mass production of useless 12 second use of an item that is not necessary and that's that's the scourge mm. and it's so interesting because um you know uh I'm with Rikindi and we essentially provide, um, you know, yoga items. And even that I um, had a small quantity of about 10 mats, which I didn't have any plastic whatsoever and um, just left them essentially naked, so to speak. And I actually had um, studios say to me, is there any chance you could put some sort of covering on here? Because people don't like opening something that there's nothing to open. People like to unwrap something and it's that whole because they think it's brand new. And um, I guess it's just working around that. And that's what, you know, I've been focusing on is, okay, well, what other wrapping can you incorporate? And there's um, cardboard wrapping, which is quite good. Or um, what are your thoughts on plastic that they say is um, recycle? And I understand you said recycling should be the last stage of that process. But if something is um, able to be recycled, what are your views on that? Do you think that that could promote um, a disregard for um change or because if people think oh like I read a study that they were saying oh if you can recycle something then people are more likely to uh, consume more plastic uh, with the assumption that it can just be recycled and even out of all those stuff that can be recycled there's only a certain amount that you can still reuse is that correct or absolutely um my my um suggestion might be for alternative packaging for your wonderful mats and i'm a big advocate for them i think they're amazing and i love yoga and and i've been uh, using um you know your mats and uh, the, the towels sorry and um i think they're they're terrific they're quite unique and and uh, yeah ter- terrific product so congratulations on that um i would be looking at you know how when we buy shoes and they come in a shoe box um, I would be uh, encouraging people to look at things like that. Like we all know people like things to feel and look and be, and they want to know that it is new, um, would be possibly um, the towels could be rolled up um, and put into a box size, like a glad, you know, like people when they buy a glad wrap, they're coming, it comes in a box, for example, that sort of size, whatever the size is that you need. And you can have it just tied with a nice um, oh. uh, string or, you know, some sort of um, natural fabric, whether it be a product like cotton or whatever it might be for your string um, and or hemp or whatever it could be. I mean, I I, I often give people gifts wrapped up in um, in actually that, you know, the, the, the hemp from that you get from bags, you know, that they used to use the flower bags and all that sort of thing. And that a lot of that's coming back now as well, by the way, which I'm sure you're aware of. So I'd be looking at something like that and it could just be wrapped in some tissue paper that's or brown brown paper that's unbleached just some some plain brown paper that's rolled in that and it could go into a box like a shoe box kind of design and just a nice bow and I think people would be absolutely thrilled and I see flowers um alternative florists are now uh trying to do that as well where they're wrapping without the plastic and they're wrapping with this t- same type of fabric which is like the hemp or the 
the cotton the cotton mesh um and it looks it actually looks better looks better and you mm. can keep reusing that you can use it even as a mat to use in your garden if you want to use for your composting because it helps form a base for a for a, a stacking of the soil and holds things together when you're when you're growing your composting um patch i guess Ooh, i don't yeah. want to say um but if look um it's very difficult because we know that there's many organisations out there that are trying to do the right thing and there's lots of trials and there's lots of products that are being produced that are under the banner of um, bi bioplastic, biodegradable plastic and compostable plastic. And um, the challenge we have is that in themselves there's nothing wrong with making a compostable plastic. The problem we've got is that that's been created, but again, it's like the story that we have with plastic in itself, just normal plastic, the end of life of that compostable plastic has not been um, commercialised. So if you look at a company like The Great Wrap that have made the most amazing um, uh, invention uh, recipe to come up with a potato starch cling film, so it's not made of plastic, it's not made of the chemical, you know, crude oil plastic, right? But it's made of data starch. Now, that can be, that is compostable and it will break down and it will um, go back into the soil, et cetera, only if it is treated correctly and it goes through the system. So if you are using it and you're at home and you um, dig it into your garden bed and turn it over and do all the various things over a, a, a three-month period, it will break down absolutely. And that's great and it's not. It's just staying in your garden and it will disintegrate. Um, but on a commercial level and when even our new, I don't know whether you've received your FOGO bin yet wherever you live, but we've just received where I am in Victoria our green FOGO bin. And with our FOGO bin came the small little lovely little Hard plastic container bins that you put on your kitchen, you know, like a kitchen tidy. Yeah. And they gave us a sugarcane green, very pretty lime green sugarcane bags to line our little kitchen tidy bag with our, all our wet food. And that bag gets put into your FOGO bin and that goes out to curbside. Now, that all sounds really great. And if they can make sure that everything is the same and that it all goes to the same place for the composting to take place yippee yay it's going to work and that plastic tidy bin that's made of cornstarch will disintegrate and it will never end up as you know a plastic scourge in the ocean and that's great the problem we have is that many people will buy something because it says it's compostable or biodegradable um, but it only goes into landfill and it doesn't get the treated, it doesn't get that commercial treatment. It needs, you know, the right temperature, the right steam, the right, you know, the right components to actually break it down into nothing so it doesn't end up where it, where it shouldn't be, if you know what I mean. So it's a challenge because we haven't thought about the end of life of biodegradable, compostable on a large scale. And there's very few service centres where you can actually, so let's say everybody was really diligent and we all just, wanted to take, you know how with Red Cycle, people were diligently and amazingly, you know, gathering together all those plastic bags and their soft plastics and they were taking them to the cycle, Red Cycle bin at the supermarket. 
if people would do that with the composting, compostable items, let's say, that would be great, but that then needs to be picked up and taken to a commercially composting station. That's all they do. And it needs not to be contaminated. And, it, you know, there's no, you shouldn't have anything else mixed into it. Because as soon as you get mix, mixed products in there, it makes another layer of issue. And um, how do you how do you work with that? So we, we're coming up with good things at the top of the cycle, but we aren't working out the end of life fast enough so we still got an issue is that it's not going where it needs to go. So you, so the three to six months of a composted compostable item, because it doesn't get commercially done in the time frame, frame that it should, it still can end up in the wrong place in an animal's stomach, can still cause um, all sorts of issues and break up and become microplastics. So it's a challenge. This is a challenge. So it's about it's about the messaging that we are talking about. It's about um, assisting um, inventors and, you know, manufacturers. How can they do it differently? Think about the end of life. And there's a lot, there's a whole story there and there's many that will um, shout me down and say, well, this isn't true. We're doing this, we're doing that. They may very well be, but whatever we're doing is not happening fast enough. Yep, yep. And, and it needs I, investment. It needs investment. It needs investment from council, from government, other government entities, the manufacturers themselves, there needs to be proper structure, strategy, investment. Well, that's what I was just going to say is there's, I don't think there's enough government regulation in this regard because if the government had to enforce that um, uh, different types of um, waste has to be collected in a specific manner and has to be disposed of in a specific manner, and if they don't, those specific companies don't get contracts, the people who run these companies will definitely adhere to that because they have to in order to um, get in the market and then make their profit margins and survive. So same thing with um, plastic bottles. I don't understand why if you had to pick up, let's say, a Coca-Cola bottle, why can't Coca-Cola be, um, or you know, any brand, um, why can't they be um, fined, let's say, a dollar or 20 cents or 10 cents each time you pick up a bottle that that branding, they get fined 10 cents, then the company's going to have this giant bill of like, let's say, I don't know, a million dollars or whatever it is, they're going to quickly shift to other avenues. But because plastic's so cheap and there's no there's no regulation, there's, there's limited amount um, of, of things that they're held accountable for, why would they bother? Because all these large corporations just want profit. That's it. Yeah, and, and I think there's a whole piece, you know, it's become very popular now. People are thinking that the way out of the bottle the bottle challenge is the uh, return and earn scheme where people are saying, well, if I buy a plastic bottle, that's okay. I'll drink my Coke and I'll take it to, you know, um, a container deposit machine and I'll get my 10 cents back and the bottle's going to be recycled. And that's another way it's sort of, I call it a bit of a placebo or a makes people feel good, but it's still an issue. And the, the um, we call it, you know, the uh, extended user responsibility, as in the, the manufacturer should take responsibility for the end of life of the product, which is what basically what you were just saying. Um, so there's, there's a whole argument there, which means that the buyer still would have to, if, if the end use of the bottle is the responsibility of the company that manufactures it, they will put the price up which the purchaser needs to pay for them to do their next stage of the of the life cycle on that product. Um, so at the end of the day, it's still the consumer 
that is having to pay for the product to either be phased out, recycled properly, um, or maybe transition to something else, whatever it might be. But I think that's sort of the wrong the wrong thinking. I think it should be a whole collaboration with looking at um, procurement, looking at supply chain, looking at what products do we really need and actually saying, you know, we've got these state bans at the moment where we've got several items that each state has been um, that are mandatorily being phased out. And all the states are doing it at different times. They've got different products. They don't agree on all the same products, which also, by the way, causes confusion for the consumer when even when you go into state, you know, some some states um, are still using plastic bags. Other states aren't, you know, producing plastic bags or saying you can't use them. So how does that, what does that mean? The consumer's confused. So surely the manufacturer's confused as well. And they're still buying products from overseas that are made in China and, and other, um, other countries where they mass produce still millions and millions of products. They're being brought in here. They are made of some sort of plastic base or in entirety, not necessarily recycled, which as again, I don't really think that that's the, the way to go. It sounds great, but it still means that you've got a, a problem because people think, well, if it's going to be recycled, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's going to go back into the system. But eventually that product is compromised because the chemical molecular structure cannot keep being reheated and still have the same um, properties, the same value, you know, the same um, constituents that it had when it first started as a virgin um, little pellet or when it came, you know, as a, from the crude oil state. So it, it is incredibly complicated and that's why there is there has been no silver bullet. There's a lot of people trying to do things, but it's taking us too long because the damage is exponential and it's not going away. Yeah, and um, just talk us through, so plastics essentially you take crude oil and you heat it up and then through that heating up process it solidifies and you can mold it into whichever shape you want well there's several pro there's many many processes um with the crude oil because obviously um it's petroleum is the number one petroleum diesel etc all those main the main products that come out of that that are used for you know the oil that's used for transportation um and plastic um is a byproduct of um of, of petroleum. So the oil companies are really um, excited that plastic is being produced as a byproduct because they want to sell as much as they can. I was actually going to show you, I've got a little um, glass jar that I show everybody which um, shows the crude oil because a lot of people don't know what it looks like and it basically looks like this black gunk at the bottom <laughs> it just looks like black slick you know it's just like paint almost with little bubble little crumbly bubbles anyway um i haven't got it handy otherwise i was going to show you um so the, the there's many many processes before it becomes actually um the hard plastic um which uh we probably could talk about that in, in another time but when plastic was first invented um or um you know, commercialised, which was back, you know, 70 years ago, um, the first uh, very well, you know, and that was through Mr Bakelite and Bakelite was used for the tele first telephone. The old-fashioned telephone is made out of Bakelite. That was his, that was his name. Um, and that was where, you know, it started way back then. And it's got more and more refined and the process has become much more streamlined. 
Um, and that also um, brings me to another point that, you know, another avenue of how we can get rid of uh, plastic waste is through the, um, the waste energy process, which is another way where it becomes back into fuel. So you, you, get, you get the waste, it, it goes through uh, uh, quite a complex system called pyrolysis is one of them, where it then is uh, melted down in steam and it becomes, what comes out the other end is new fuel. So you can use it for fuel again. And that, and that a lot of us say, look, that at least that's better than, you know, than nothing sort of thing. And there's a lot of work that's been done with that. There's three or four plants in Australia that are working um, quite diligently uh, on that and having some great success like Lysella, IQ Renew, um, Veolia's got a plant in um, in WA um, and there, there's quite a few innovations going on and also here in Victoria where we are. Um, so there, there is a lot of work that's being done in that space, but it still doesn't change the fundamental issue or challenge, which is how do we stop, how do we change the way we live and don't rely on crude oil for how we live and what we're doing. So even the closing down of the power stations, it's a great, it's a great start and going on to renewables, it's fantastic. Um, you know, those are the sort of things that that really will make massive change um, long term. How do we, but how do we do something dramatic like that with the, the plastic waste space? That, you know, that's a question to the world. You know, I don't have, if I had the answer, I hopefully would be out of a job, you know. <laughs> well, and, um, you know, in that regard, how do you see AI um, playing a role in any of this? Are you quite optimistic that... Um you know, there, there is artificial intelligence that could potentially help solve a lot of these giant issues that we are um, faced with. Oh, I just say bring it on, please. We need all the help we can get. It doesn't matter. And possibly that is the way that we would get it because we aren't getting it, doing it the traditional way. Maybe AI will will be a fantastic, a fantastic model to help us or come up with the, who knows, but yes. I just say bring it on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And this might touch into one of the uh, previous conversations or questions I asked, but just to really um, narrow it down, um, when somebody donates to Plastic Oceans Australasia, they are essentially helping stop plastic from the bottom. So you guys are spreading awareness and you're funding a large amount of research. Is that correct? Um, no. Well, we're not – when you say a large amount of research, we – the, 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 when people donate to us, we use it for on-ground projects and that can be across a number of areas. So it can be our education school delivery or business delivery in that whole education piece and that's an ongoing that's ongoing work. So we have to make sure that we're up to date with facts and figures, the curriculum, the resources, the, the data that goes out, our toolkits, um, you know, just general information for people and also how to do things. So that hands-on, you know, um, uh, material is 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 an ongoing. And that, then actually getting it out and deploying it through our education offices to remote, regional and um, areas that wouldn't normally get the material, whether it be in Australia, New Zealand, et cetera. So that, those are what I, that's like um, an example of our main um, on-ground work. And then, like I was mentioning, the science and research piece. So we've got two or three projects that we'd like to do a lot more and we're only stymied by the lack of funding because um, that work, you know, requires a lab and, you know, um, uh, 
professors and um, scientists and people to do the dissection and, and the data analytics and work out what it is and then we need to write a paper and then we want to get that paper as a white paper, you know, well, it's, 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 it's the processes. So our money pretty much, we're very, we're, we're lean, we're very keen and we've been told that given that we're not a large NGO, um, we do get some really good runs on what we do work with and what we do have. But it's um it's very much everything that we have, we want to go straight back into projects that we're running and also extending the projects that we know do work and getting more out there in that space. Um, and one area in particular that we are having some good attraction on, which is our third year now, is with our two campaigns called um, Picnic Unwrapped and Ocean in Motion Film Competition. And those are really great to, to really raise that big platform to get people to try and change their habits eternally, not just, um, you know, once a month or whatever, but forever. Yeah, cool. And, and what do those um, specific campaigns look like? Talk us through a little bit more about Picnic Unwrapped. And... So Ocean in, Ocean, it was called Oceans in Motion when we first created it back three years ago, but now we're all just one big ocean. So we don't generally use the word oceans anymore. And I think we'll probably have to look at whether we change plastic oceans to plastic ocean Australasia and drop the S off uh, oceans as well for our, for actually the name of the organisation. Um, but um, Ocean in Motion Film Competition came about because of the um, amazing work that we were finding that students were doing in the school when we were working with them at the school and we'd ask them to take some video footage or photos and we'd say, you know, can you take a pic, can you document what you're doing? It's just so amazing. We'd like to show the world. And so others can get some ideas of what you've done. We can share it with the rest. So that was actually how we started the film competition. And we invited schools, primary, secondary, and now tertiary to document over a six-month period um, what they're doing at their school or their campus to make a difference. And it can be a success story. It can be an unsuccessful story. And it also can be a planning story. So it could be you want to do it, but you're not quite sure how. So you're working out the plan of what we can do maybe for the next year. Uh, you did put something in place, but it didn't work. And it might be that it didn't work because you weren't getting support from the at the campus with the uni students. Maybe they weren't buying into it and they didn't want to make a difference and they didn't do anything. That can be the film, that story of why it didn't work. And the other one could be obviously the best ones that always are, well, the, the ones we aspire to is that they have had a success story and they can demonstrate that. And there was something that new that they implemented that we uh, can get that in film and they upload their film, send it to us. We have amazing judges um, and they win terrific prizes um, that can be either used at the school or individually for the students. So that's the Ocean in Motion film competition and that's been growing. And this year we've also opened it up to the general community. So anybody can do that. So it's opened in um, April and it closes October 19th. So there's still plenty of time. Am I allowed to give the website? No, uh, please. I'll link it at the. Uh, I'll link it in the show notes below as okay. well. So no, please. Yes, by all means. Well, we've got two separate websites for the campaign. So oceaninmotion.org.au. And then the other one is called Picnics Unwrapped. So we are delighted that we've had the uh, wonderful support and endorsement by UNESCO with our Picnics Unwrapped campaign. Um, so the 2030 Decade of Ocean uh, Acknowledgement with United Nations being that, um, you know, uh, 
we really need to focus on what's happening to the health of our ocean. Um, and we um, created Picnic Sunwrapped, and it was something that I, I'm very, very proud that our team actually was created internally through our team, um, that they came up with this um, uh, objective and, and focus. So the idea was is how do we connect people to their food and food waste and everything that is involved with when you're eating out or going out. So it doesn't necessarily, the picnic is just the idea. It could be going to a football game. It could be going to the beach. It could be climbing a mountain. It could be on a bike ride. It can be having a picnic in the backyard or a picnic inside on your lounge room floor, which we encourage people to do during COVID because people couldn't go out. So we got people taking photos of having picnics in their home and it was awesome. It was lovely to see what they were doing. Um, and the whole idea is, is take a photo of your picnic without packaging. And what we were trying to get people to think about was you don't have to go and buy something in the supermarket that's made of single use, that's wrapped in single use or container single use plastic. You can make your own food. So we, we, we got this whole fabulous booklet with recipes and things you can make from home, like from homemade lemonade to wonderful hummus and, uh, you know, just things that if you make it yourself, it doesn't come in plastic. It has a tin, it goes in the oven and you take it out, you know, that sort of thing. So we we wanted to create, um, again, a way to encourage people with lots of, give them lots of tips and tools and tricks so they can do it. And it actually ends up costing you less because you've made it yourself you usually buy, you know, you can buy in bulk, whatever it is, and you can, you know, you can just put it in the freezer. You've got this, you know, your muffins or whatever it is that you're going to make um, and freeze it and you've got that. So we we came up with this concept of picnics unwrapped, lots of different categories again, um, uh, best uh, presented picnic, most unique location, uh, biggest corporate picnic, um, school picnic and a community I think the biggest, I think it's biggest community. I can't remember. There's five categories. I might have repeated one, sorry. But you get my gist, right? So what we love to do is give people experiences as a prize rather than a something, uh, rather than a product. We like to give people like a service or an, um, something they can use to remember uh, the experience. So um, last year and this year, we're, we're very grateful. Um, we've had some wonderful um uh, supporters that have given us prizes where people actually can go and experience like a sustainable dinner that's been cooked by an executive chef at you know a very well-known chef at one of the amazing restaurants um, and they take them through this the process of how you could eat sustainably and what you can do or um, Lady Ellie Dyland for example um, we've got uh, the eco tourism resort there of Lady Ellie Island uh, we've been um, given a, a package where, you know, you can go for three days, four nights and actually enjoy living in a pristine, in you know, eco-friendly, eco pristine environment and you're shown how, how it can be done. So we've got some wonderful things like that that people can take up. And we also had a survivor course for parent and child that was um, gifted to us last year for by zero Risk International, and um, I the the results of that were the winning school got to go for four days. Um, well, actually, it was three nights. Sorry, over three nights, four days, and they they went out like the you know like the Survivor you know um, 
show on TV. Um, it was like that, but but um, a smaller version for for families to experience. And they learned a lot. They learned a lot. What's the number one thing um, you think of when you, if you're out and you need to survive and you're in the bush, let's say, and you've got nothing, what's the one thing that you would think, what would be the first thing come to your mind that you think you you need to be able to survive? Water. Hands down, water number one. Water and then protein, any sort of food source, so whether that be um, animals or, you know, whatever you can source, but number one is water. If you don't have water, you die. You can probably go a week, I think, without food, depending on how large you are, how much stored energy you have. But, um, yeah, without water, you're dead. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because we pretty much, I think all of us, and you're right, but what the what the experts actually said to us, and this this came up in a, a conversation recently with the um, the trainers that run the course, they said the actual number one thing that we need is fire. We need oh. the fire. We need the fire to be able to heat the water. We need the fire to cook the food. We need the fire to keep us warm. We need the fire for all of those things. We need that. And so the number one thing is you've got to keep yourself warm while you're trying to get your water or trying to find the water. You need fire to to, to keep yourself because the shelter, you know, the whole shelter thing. So I thought that was really interesting about the, we all think of water first. I think, you know, water, air, <laughs> shelter, that's the thing. They said, no, actually, it's actually that fire. You need the fire. So I thought that was really good. That was really interesting for me as well. So I love doing all that outdoors and survival stuff. But there you go. Hopefully I'll help there with yeah. some little tip. <laughs> no, amazing. And what I really love about that is just once again, bringing awareness to how you can live sustainably. And, um, you know, if there was an, a, a way to um, close that um, production cycle or the supply chain, like you were saying previously, where if you know that when I buy a product, whatever that may be, I know that that production cycle will close and it'll disintegrate back into the same products in which it was originally or the same molecular structure in which it was really founded. So as in like walking on the beach, you can walk on the beach and your footprints will be in the sand, but we know that once this, the wave come and wash over it those footprints are gone and you don't really want any on one of our um split second decisions particularly if it's something like oh I just want to buy lemonade <laughs> because I'm feeling a bit thirsty at this moment or my energy's low or whatever your reasoning may be that one energy drink or that one lemonade or whatever it is can have a dire consequence on animals lives on our lives on microplastics in our brain I mean that's just a whole nother level um of insanity that we've dug ourselves in. Um, so just briefly, um, can you share your vision for Plastic Oceans Australasia for the next five years? What are the major goals that you're aiming to achieve? Look, I think it's it, it's it's a hard it's a hard question to answer because things are changing so rapidly, uh, way more than we had anticipated, and even the global warming and the increase in the temperature, which, you know, the experts had it um, staged, you know, for 2050, 2030, 2050, et cetera, and, you know, the rate of the increase of the global temperature, for example. So I think because the um, the conservation to preserve um, life on Earth um whether it be in the ocean or on the land, is something that we all have to fight for and we all have to really try and work together. So I think um, 
I remember I remember reading a uh, information from Jack, I think it was Jack Cousteau, uh, a long time ago, and I remember I think there was a quote, I think something that he said, it was something like, the sea is, um, the sea, once it casts its spell, holds one in its net of wonder forever. And I was thinking about what we do at Plastic Oceans. We want people to be in awe of the ocean and what the ocean brings. And we believe that by helping people understand the natural beauty and the natural wonder of what the source is and what you can get out of the ocean, um, that not only does it make people curious to, um, to know more, but the greatest fulfilment we feel under plastic oceans is to actually help people preserve, conserve and maintain what we've got so that it's there for future generations. So we talk about uh, changing people's behaviour to um, within a generation. That's our, you know, our, our tagline is to change people's attitude within a generation. We know that without the, um, the younger people, we're not going to get through this. Um, and for me, the vision, I, I hope that we're not here in five years' time. I hope that there's been a remarkable turnaround and we don't have to, along with many other NGOs and other, uh, you know, government entities and all these um, big institutions and places that are just working on this problem, it would be really great if we could be doing something else and working on um, other areas that are extremely important. So the vision would be is that we're not here in five years, um, but the the probability of us having this problem solved is, is pretty low. Um, so I just hope that we keep morphing and changing and adapting to what we need to do to be relevant for the market, to keep changing to what people need us to do, whether it become, you know, go more into a commercial space, more into a science space, or more into if we have to do more in, in the behaviour change space. So it really, I think the market will govern our direction depending on how quickly people want to adapt to change. I want to ask again, what for those listening, can they do, um, what can they do to stop um, this systemic problem? Is you're saying one is just really be conscious and aware of what how much plastic you are consuming and reduce the amount of plastic where possible, single-use plastic, any plastic that you can. Are there any other things, strategies that you can share uh, for people? The number one thing people have to all, or every single one of us has to think about is that the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else will save it. So... <laughs> Everybody has to realise that they all have to do something because if everybody says somebody else will do it, actually nothing gets done because there's that let's put our head in the sand and hide because someone else will do it. So that belief is that every single day, every single day, if there's only one thing, and this is what keeps me going, I, you know, I was brought up um sorting plastics in my dad's um, plastic recycling factory when I was a kid. 
And the one thing is that if every day somebody can do one thing to change that one thing that they, if they, let's say they identify, if people can identify um, five things, one for each finger on the one hand that they know that they use a lot of, that is a single-use high-volume plastic item, if they just pick one item out of that five, the pinky, your forefinger, whichever one it is, pick one, pick one and say, I'm going to just focus on that one item, give it a go and see what I can do to actually stop using that product and switch to something else. And if people can genuinely forever phase out using one particular item that they do use a lot of, and I'm not talking about coffee cups, I'm not talking about water bottles, I'm not talking about plastic bags, I'm not talking about straws, that's been done to death. There are thousands of single-use plastic products that people are using that they don't even think about that they can stop using and say no to buying it. So instead of go to the go to the bulk bulk food bulk food stores where you can buy your food in bulk and you take your own containers, even doing that one thing, you are reducing a massive amount of, of um, plastic thin plastic that's being wrapped and packaged up in your pantry. You know, even just something as an example, right, just do one thing like that. Yes, it might cost you more initially because you're buying a bigger amount, but if you amortise that over the the weight and the amount of what it is, like let's say you buy five kilos of flour, instead of just getting your 500, um, you know, your 500-gram bag, whatever it is, um, and you buy five kilos and you make sure you package it tight and well and all the rest of it, and it will cost you obviously more initially because you're buying a bigger amount, but, or you share it. You buy five kilos and you share, you know, you say to your neighbour, let's go halves in this special, you know, bread flour that we want to do or whatever it might be, you know, and it's about collaborating, working with people. And that's, you know, and I like I like Costco's idea, you know, you buy in bulk, but Costco could do a lot more with reducing plastic with all the packaging as well. All the stores, all the supermarkets are looking at what they can do to reduce their plastic packaging. It's a massive issue. But it's some, those are the sort of things I just say, pick one one thing, one finger, what can you do? Yep, love it. And just to summarise, as unfortunately we're running out of time, being a podcast, what's one message, and it would probably align with what you previously said, but what's one message you would share with the world? The, the, the sea needs us and we need the sea. And to keep the sea healthy and to keep the planet healthy because over 70% of our planet is blue, the blue planet, we need to look after the planet, blue planet first, and everything else will follow from that. And I just want people to really walk with purpose to know that each one of us needs to make the difference, not the governments, not a group, but each individual. Mm, very well said. Very well said. No, well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Ricky. And um, if people want to get in contact and reach out and help out and they've been moved and shifted by this podcast, how best can they reach you or how best can they help Plastic Oceans Australasia? We would. We always welcome um, information, people chatting uh, anytime. We love people to talk to us. They can go onto our website, plasticoceans.org.au. Uh, they can send an email to info at plastic oceans i don't mind if people want to email me directly and it's just ricky at plasticoceans.org.au 
uh, and they can of course donate if they if people are inspired and they like what they've heard they're welcome to donate to our cause and we always respond to people that donate to us and we love to let people know what we're doing and what where their funds go as well so um always welcome and invite everybody to sign up and do picnics unwrapped if nothing else have a picnic take a photo win a prize <laughs> love it love it well we'll link all of that down in the show notes below so guys please check it out um please donate and just get a part of it like if everybody as you just said starts to get involved we could all make a massive difference to not only our generation but future generations to come because um, this has been a problem and for 70 years. I know. And I, and I just want to say to you as well, as a company and an organisation, you are walking the talk and we really, really love um, working with you and you are definitely making a difference with what you're doing with Rick Indy. So thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot. Um, great. Thanks, guys.